On this week's episode of Menopause Matters, Suzanne and Valerie dive into the five myths of menopause. Suzanne, how are you today? I'm lovely and yourself. I'm good. I'm good. Just, uh, you know, living in Northern California, it was very weird to have the post-apocalyptic orange skies yesterday. So I, I just, just seeing the pictures from here on the East Coast made my heart hurt. It just, it was really upsetting to see that. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it put me in a funk. Yeah. Like, I couldn't get out of bed yesterday. And when I did, I was like, is it 3 a.m.? What's going on? Just very bizarre. It just, um, and then all the other stuff that's been going on in 2020, it sort of made me feel like, ah, what is this it? <laughs> is it oh, all? Yeah. Like, like when, it, when is it gonna, you know, end and not me like the world, but like when are, when is all the weird stuff gonna end? It just, yeah. it's just such, you know, we've seen the, everyone's talking about like 2020 bingo. Who had orange post-apocalyptic skies over San Francisco? Oh, bingo, I got it. Yeah, (laughs) bingo, I love that. That's great. But let's get started because we're not here to talk about post-apocalyptic skies and what the past few months of 2020 have been. We're here to talk about menopause. Menopause, yes. Menopause. and Not the apocalypse. Yeah, not the apocalypse, not the apocalypse. So I'm Valerie Williamson. And I'm Suzanne Boutillier. And Suzanne and I are two women who are passionate about busting the myths and taboos of menopause. And we want to provide women like you with some of the resources and a community for your post-reproductive years. We hope that we're doing that for you. This is our third episode, so we're sort of getting into the groove of things. I think we're getting into the groove, don't you? I think we are. Like every now and then, you know, we step on each other's words, but... That happens in real life too. So, you know, this is real. This is real stuff. Let's be real. That's right. Today, we're going to be addressing what we're calling the five myths of menopause. I'm very excited that our guest today on Menopause Matters and doing the five, besting the five myths of menopause is the author of a great article on the five myths of menopause, Suzanne Boutillier. I'm not just the author. I'm also the co-host. That's right. <laughs> yeah, was, this was a great. This was a great article to write because you know, as we sit around and talk about our experience of menopause with each other, we and with other women, we just we often keep hearing the same the same things that are untrue. And as as our doctors at the cusp meet with uh, new members, they hear a lot of these same beliefs that are just unfounded. And we thought we need to we need to bring them to the forefront and and talk about them and then bust them to smithereens. So that's yes. what that we'll try to do. And now we're going to try to do it on a podcast, which I like. I like. I think I think doing it on a podcast we can dive a bit deeper into our own experiences, uh, and hopefully you see a little bit of yourself, listeners, and what our experiences are, and you don't feel like you're alone out there. Yeah. So, Suzanne, let's talk about the first myth of menopause. First myth of menopause pause, 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 is, uh, is, and you've probably heard this, menopause is natural. 
So just embrace it. Just, just grin and bear it. Oh. And have, 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 did you ever hear that at any point, Valerie? Menopause yep. is natural, so just put it up, put up with it. Yep. And it was very frustrating because you feel, you know, you you go through the um, health roulette, right? You're experiencing something, and you think, "What is this?" You know, we talked about in the previous episode, one of my big things with perimenopause was irregular bleeding. And I really thought like, oh my God, I'm dying. This is it. Nobody should bleed like this. Right. Yeah. And I went to my doctor and she was like, yeah, well, you're just going through that natural cycle. Just, you know what? Suck it up, cupcake. Great. So you heard it from your doctor. Yeah. That was super fun. Oh, that's, uh, that's upsetting. Um, I heard it, I kind of got it from my mom who had like a kind of a cakewalk through menopause. Um, and, and so she was the one who first pointed out to me that my symptoms were perimenopause, but kind of followed up with, you know, it's, it's, we all go through it, you know, it's natural. It'll be over soon. Nothing about there's stuff to be done. She never needed stuff to be done. Um, and she probably wouldn't have known about it anyway, back in her day. Well, see, here's the thing, because it's it's a myth couched into truth, right? So menopause is natural, right? If you if you have if you were born with ovaries, then at some point in your life, you're gonna go through menopause, either organically, you know, as your hormones start to peter out, or surgically if you have those ovaries removed. But you don't have to just put up, right? You don't just have to accept it and 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 suffer in silence, as my mother would say, because um, there are so many things you can do to treat the symptoms and make yourself feel like yourself again, you know? And, and my analogy is, you know, headaches are natural, but no one tells people to just put up with them and grin and bear it. You get a headache, you take action, right? You take some, some ibuprofen or Tylenol, or you step away from your screen or you uh, rehydrate, you, you do something about it to make it go away. Same thing with, with menopause symptoms. There's so much you can do about them to make them go away and to manage them. So there's absolutely no reason to grin and bear it and, and a lot of reasons to not grin and bear it, right? Yes. And I think we should talk about that because if we don't do anything about them, there are some long-term implications to our health right? Yep. So we need to, we need to address them. And yes, it is natural, but we have to do something about it. I love your analogy about the headache. I love that because now let's talk about if you don't do something about it, what could possibly happen to you if you're having some really bad symptoms? So some of those long-term implications, as your estrogen depletes, you run the risk. It can have an impact on everything from your cardiovascular health, there's been links to diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and there's also some new studies that are coming out showing some links to low estrogen and Alzheimer's. Yeah. So, so there are long-term implications of not doing it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're absolutely promoting that it's HRT, it's HRT all the way. That is a very personal decision between you and your doctor, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the myths of HRT. Yeah. But there are ways to deal with it. And, I, and again, loving that headache analogy. Now, let's take that headache analogy towards dealing with, you know, your menopause symptoms, how you can deal with some of those naturally hormones and others. 
that can help reduce those longer term health implications. Right? Exactly. Right. So like, for instance, you mentioned diabetes, right? The link between uh, menopause and type two diabetes. So a lot of the symptoms um, of menopause, like weight gain, um, poor sleep, mm-hmm. um, depression, all insulin resistance, all these things can make you much, can increase your risk for type two diabetes. You can manage these things with lifestyle, lifestyle changes. So you can manage them with um, uh, stress reduction and diet tweaks and exercise and uh, activity tweaks. And you can keep that stuff from uh, spiraling out of control and then bringing to you a point, bringing you to a point where you could end up developing type two diabetes has nothing to do with taking hormones. It's just knowing what you can do to reduce these symptoms that could impact other aspects of your health. Right. You can also take hormones if that's your choice, in addition to those lifestyle changes that you're talking about. Right? Yep. Yep, exactly. That's important. And again, it goes back to personal choices, right? So that's a good transition to the next myth, the next myth of menopause. Pause, 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 pause. Is uh, menopause is all about hot flashes and mood swings. That's just hot flashes and mood swings. Um, that's what I thought it was, because uh, that's what people talked about, you know, and they joked about, and and comedians would joke about at women's expense, right? Mm-hmm. But um, they're actually, I mean, they're super common. Those are two of the most common symptoms. Weight gain is another really common one. But they're actually more than 20, more than 20 possible symptoms associated with menopause. And, and you're not probably not going to get all of them. Um, and, and you're not going to get the same ones that your sister got or that your mother got or that your friends get. You're going to have your own very unique, we call it a cocktail of symptoms because cocktail makes it sound so much more enjoyable, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And that might, that cocktail might change over time. You know, you might start out an early perimenopause with just a few hot flashes and some irregular bleeding. A few years down the road, uh, libido might start to uh, get a little bit funky. You might start to get, uh, you might start to have insomnia. Further down the road in menopause, uh, hot flashes might go away, but you're still dealing with vaginal dryness. So if you're nearing incontinence. Incoherent continents. That's my least favorite. I can no longer do jumping jacks, Suzanne. Oh, that's a shame because I know how much you loved jumping jacks. Yeah. And dancing too. Oh man. Jumping jacks. I just, I just miss um, sleeping through the night without getting up to pee. Yeah. No, that's true. And it's, and it's this, I just miss sleeping through the night, not only the pee, but the anxiety that sort of comes with nighttime sleep. Oh, so yours comes at night? <laughs> yeah, my anxiety really comes on at night pretty strong. Pretty wow. Strong. And it's, it's hard because you sort of wake up and, uh, well, first the hot flash will wake me up and then I will just go spiral into a lot of anxiety about it. You know, in thinking about things like, what did I say the past day that I could have said differently, or what do I have tomorrow that I need to think about? And I don't want to forget that I have to think about it. <laughs> you know, all yeah. of that. Is, ugh, it's very painful. It's very Mine, painful. my anxiety starts to um, show up usually when I'm, especially right now this week where I'm dealing with 
kids, elementary and elementary age school kids doing hybrid distance, sometimes in-person learning. And I'm dealing with um, elderly parents whose health is spiraling out of control. And I'm trying to do my job. And it's sometime during the day when all of a sudden I realize I can't take care of any of these three things <laughs> very well. And it just, I just, that's when my panic starts. And then you're not taking care of yourself. I didn't hear of all of those three things that you listed, you were never part of the equation. You're right about that. You're right about that. That is a problem. Um, yeah, it seems like there's no time for that, right? No. And, and, you know, going back to that myth of it's just hot flashes and mood swings, I mentioned last week about my hairdresser who I love and is one of my best friends in the world and mentioning about her saying, yeah, my, I didn't really have menopause. I didn't have any hot flashes. And then saying, really? Let's talk about these things. You know, sex? Vaginal dry? Oh, yeah, got that. Got that. So, yeah, I think it's um, – there's a little bit of that. If you listen to the popular media – you think that that's all menopause is, and it's just all these other things. So we, we covered a lot of them, anxiety, urinary incontinence, um, libido, vaginal dryness, uh, anxiety, depression. Hair uh, loss. Hair loss, yeah. Skin, skin getting dry or pimples again. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, or suddenly, like, new beard hairs. Like, when did I start oh. a beard? Yeah. Those are all symptoms of menopause. And the thing is, like, because they're, I think people don't talk about some of these things as much as because, like, they're a little embarrassing, right? You know, if anything that has to do with sexual health can be kind of embarrassing. Hot flashes doesn't really feel that sexual, so we can talk about it. Right. Um, like, I, I was, I remember Googling everywhere early, early in perimenopause, trying to figure out if it was normal for, like, my vaginal bouquet to change. Right. Because it was changing <laughs> and it was not changing in a good way. And it's like, I'm not doing anything different. What's going on? I couldn't find anything about it. I couldn't find anything about it. And no one was talking about it. Like no one says, so like, does your vagina smell a little funky? No, yeah. that doesn't come up in conversation. Right. Um, so this is like, this is why I want to talk about this stuff. So that if we touch on one of these things that you, you might be too afraid to ask your friend if she has experienced, we've probably experienced it or know someone who has. Well, and going to Dr. Google is probably the most dangerous part. <laughs> anyway, you might be able to try and find out information, but going to Dr. Google, I always find it, it raises my anxiety levels even more. Right. right? Because then you start going this rabbit down this rabbit hole of things, and that's when we start having this. Is this a hot flash, or am I having a heart attack? Right. Or does my vagina smell, or do I have a sexually transmitted disease? Like, what is going on? Exactly. Oh, it can't be a sexually transmitted disease because I'm not having sex right now. <laughs> I know. Wait a second. I haven't had sex in years. <laughs> hey, speaking of that heart attack thing with uh, heart flashes, I only learned like a year ago that part of the hot flash experience is, can be heart palpitations. So, so yeah. So I, um, I, when I had my first couple hot flashes, I did that thing. Maybe I was having a heart attack, right. um, but because that's part of it, I, I never put the two together. I thought there were two separate things. The more, you know, the more, you know, that's right. But I still think that as women with cardiovascular health, 
especially in our post-reproductive years, we do not take some of the things that are happening to us and that we're experiencing and we don't take those seriously, like with cardio, yes, hot flashes and heart palpitations. And you think, am I having a heart attack? But don't, you know, I don't want any of our listeners to walk away thinking, oh, a heart palpitation is just associated with my hot. If it's directly associated with your hot flash, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, that heart palpitation might be due to sort of a menopause symptom and experience. But if you're having other experiences with your heart, seek medical attention. Absolutely. Don't, yeah. don't sort of brush that off and say, oh, it's just part of my menopause symptoms. If there's, there might be a direct, you know, again, if it's, if it's coming alongside with the hot flash, maybe, but take that seriously. And take like, when you start, when you start having perimenopause symptoms, take them to your doctor. I mean, the challenge is finding a doctor who really has, has insight and knowledge and training in menopause care there aren't many, but um, let them know what's going on so that they can start keeping track of, you know, the symptoms that you're having and they can help you start putting together uh, what's going on and maybe a plan for helping you. Yes. And that's what I love about the cusp is that we have all of those, that rare breed of menopause specialists that can help us out. And it also helps because finding a doctor is very important because your symptoms are going to change over time. I know mine have. In my experience, my symptoms have changed over time. I'm no longer doing the irregular bleeding. Now I'm on to anxiety and insomnia and urinary incontinence, all of that good, fun, funky stuff. So seeking the care of a specialist that really understands this is important. You know, I had a, I had a great talk uh, about this with one of our, uh, one of our clinicians, and she said, um, for a lot of gynecologists, she said their practice ages with them. So when often when they get out of, and I've only ever seen female gynecologists, so I don't know if this is true for male gynecologists, but <clears throat> when they get out of, of residency, you know, they're all about catching the babies and doing surgeries and stuff. Cause that's, you know, that's sort of what their life is about. And then as they age themselves, they might start getting maybe more involved in, um, uh, infertility, health issues of of older women who are sort of past their childbearing years, right? And then once they hit menopause themselves, they sort of start to change their focus to menopause. So my my mo now I've recently moved. I'm looking for a gynecologist who's at least my age, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that tells me at the very least she has empathy, but at the Hopefully, she's made this part of her focus and her passion. Right. Yeah. So I think good rule of thumb. Okay. Next myth of menopause. Pause, 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 pause. All right. This is a big one. It's a big, hairy one. Um, the myth is that hormone therapy is dangerous. So let's sort of break this one apart. Okay. Um, first, it helps to understand that. The, where this idea came from was a massive, like thousands of women hormone study called the Women's Health Initiative um, that was looking at how hormone therapy could help prevent age-related diseases like stroke and heart disease and osteoporosis. They weren't looking at how hormone therapy could 
help treat menopause symptoms. And since they were looking at how hormone therapy could prevent age-related diseases, the, the mean age of the women they were studying was 63 years old. So this is a woman well past menopause. So uh, during the course of the study, they ended up in the early 2000s uh, cutting, <coughs> cutting short two of the arms of the study. One was um, the arm that was treating women with estrogen and progesterone. And one was looking at treating women with just estrogen. The only people who can take just estrogen are people who don't have a uterus anymore, who've had a, a, a hysterectomy, because you need the progesterone to protect the uterus from the added estrogen. Yep. That's, I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but it would take too long to explain if I got way deep into the weeds. And by the way, I'm not a doctor, so take everything I say as like a layperson interpreting science. But in episode one, Taylor, you know, Taylor Settler, the co-founder of the CUSP did go over this as well. So exactly, exactly. So I won't go too far to that. But anyway, so what happened though is um, when these reports came out that the, the two arms of the study were stopped because we started seeing um, some risks associated with hormone therapy. One was a risk of breast cancer and one was a risk of stroke. The media grabbed hold of that and they just said, Hormone therapy is dangerous. It causes breast cancer and strokes. And so without really diving into the data, a lot of women and uh, most of their doctors too were saying, okay, everybody off hormone therapy. It's too dangerous. So once people started diving into data, they started realizing, wait a second, this is the data that holds true for the 63-year-olds and over, 60-year-olds and over. When they looked at the data for the um, risks and benefits for the women who were under 60, uh, it was really quite different. And, and, and actually, uh, women who were under 60 who took estrogen alone showed a lower risk of heart disease. Mm -hmm. um, women who were taking, uh, let's see, uh, women who were taking estrogen alone had a lower risk of breast cancer. There are some women who actually, you, it would be dangerous for, if you're older, if you're over, over 60, if you have a history of stroke. If you have a history of breast cancer, you're probably not a good candidate for hormone replacement therapy. If you don't fall into any of those buckets, you might actually really benefit from hormone replacement therapy, many more benefits and risks. So it's not an easy answer. It's something that you want to talk to your, uh, your doctor about and make sure that your doctor has deep knowledge of the data involved in the study. Absolutely. And I think you know, another odd thing about that study was that if you're a 63-year-old woman, you've already gone through and you're already well past menopause and your hormones have been completely depleted in that time to suddenly introduce these hormones into the mix, why they weren't studying that as a potential outcome is sort of a little bit of a mystery as well. But, yeah. and again, hormone replacement therapy is a very personal decision. And it is not the only approach to dealing with menopause, but we want to at least put it out there as a myth to be busted about there being close tie-ins and associations with breast cancer. Absolutely. And with stroke. And, I mean, there, the, the thing is they're still doing follow-ups on that initial um, WHI study. Like they check in with the women who were in it just to see how things are going. So we're still learning stuff about it. 
the other interesting thing about that is the hormones that they were on during the study are very different from the hormones that are prescribed now. Um, now we're, we're prescribing bioidentical hormones that are, are they're biologically identical to the kind of hormones that our bodies make. And they're made usually from like yams and soy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the hormones that, that the women in the study were on, uh, one was uh, called, or one was made with, uh, it's called Premarin. And you can see it in the name, it was made with pregnant mare's urine, Premarin. Um, and then I forget what the progesterone was made of, but these were not bio bioidentical. Um, so that could have had uh, some impact on on the risks and benefits that they were discovering. And there still is um, like slightly higher risk uh, for women who are taking the estrogen plus progesterone now, slightly higher risk of breast cancer, slightly higher risk of heart disease. Um, but the key is to like, if you're going to choose that route, stay on top of your health and make sure you're getting your mammograms and stay on top of you know, your annual exams to make sure that you're not tipping over into a, a, a dangerous area. Right. And do it under the care of a doctor that understands hormone replacement therapy. Exactly. Exactly. And again, just want to stress, we're not doctors. This, nope. is, this is, and we understand that hormone replacement therapy is a very personal thing. And, and again, I want to stress, there are ways to take care of your menopause symptoms without hormone therapy. Yep. I'm also a fan fan of some of the um, natural supplements that I was using too. So, um. and I'm a fan of the lifestyle changes. Like I've made some really significant lifestyle changes that have been incredibly helpful for me. Oh yeah, but what's your favorite lifestyle change, and how have you seen it affect you? Uh, I would say the uh, intermittent fasting from a from a weight management perspective. That's been really helpful for me. Some women it doesn't work for, but it's been really helpful for me. What about you? What, what are the things that you like to do? You know, my favorite, my, my, I guess my most effective lifestyle change was um, switching my diet, not going on a diet, but switching my diet to um, focus on uh, protein, produce, and healthy fats. Mm-hmm. So really cutting way, way down on carbs or anything with like a high glycemic value. So I used to, I used to love cereal in the morning with berries and sandwiches. I love sandwiches. So, um, so I was eating a lot of, you know, sugars, basically, even if it wasn't candy, it was things that break down to sugar. And once I just shifted to produce protein and healthy fat, um, I lost eight or nine pounds. I, I was sleeping better. I, I liked myself better. Um, yeah, life, life got more back to normal. Yep. I love that protein, produce, and healthy fats. Yep. PH, yep. the PPH. Yep. Yep. Healthy fats like, like um, nuts, uh, av- avocado, mm. olive oil. I could like bathe in olive oil. I love it so much. Me too. Me too. Well, actually, and, and coconut oil, and we'll get to coconut oil in a second because the next myth of menopause. Myth is your sex drive will disappear forever. Now, this is an interesting one because Valerie and I are in two totally different places here because of our life experiences. So, um, and it kind of depends on like where you are in menopause. Like, you know, a friend of mine said, 
like I suddenly want sex more than ever. <laughs> and she's you know 47. Um, and, and, and probably because she's having this powerful hormonal surge. Cause when you're in perimenopause, sometimes you've got more hormones flooding your system. And sometimes you have fewer hormones. And, and so you, you, you could get anything, you could lose your sex drive, or you could actually increase your sex drive. I, I also went through a phase around the same time where I was crazy horny and I was having the best orgasms of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It only lasted a few months, but it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then other women, like another friend of mine, she's like, I used to be a sex queen. Now I don't even want my husband to come near me. I just, I, I don't, I don't want it. And she, and she, she's miserable because she doesn't want to be that way. Um, but that's how her hormones are behaving and affecting her. Yeah. Um, I don't miss the fact that I've lost my sex drive because I'm single and I'm a, I'm a mom and I have no time for relationships and uh, I, you know, it's messy and I, you know, I don't want to clean the sheets. And so I don't miss it. I don't miss sex. So it's not a problem for me, but if you're married, Valerie. Yeah. I mean, I definitely went through a period of time where I didn't want my husband touching me either. Um, I was irritable. Sex just really was a big turnoff and, and it, and quite frankly, it hurt. I mean, Suzanne, it really, really hurt. It's impossible. It became, it became impossible. Yeah. And then you're thinking, I'm not enjoying this because I'm in so much pain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's when uh, I, I, you talked about bathing in olive oil. I would bathe my vagina in organic coconut oil, right? Yeah. Um, and I know some people are like, no to coconut oil. Well, I couldn't use KY jelly and all of that. I would get, I would get UTIs with oh, yeah. stuff. Like literally we would use a, a, a store-bought lubricant, have sex. And the next day I would, you know, up oh, UTI coming on. Okay. Uh, so switched over to my gynecologist said switch to coconut oil. I love it. It's, it's, it's on a jar next to my bed <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a prominent place. I do now enjoy sex with my husband and Vexi, that, that uh, estrogen suppository we talked about earlier, really helpful with that. It, it's decreasing the pain. It's making my vagina more moist, which was really a problem. Um, and sex is becoming enjoyable again. So I'm not sure that we, we would call the sex drive and the libido a myth because it is real, Right. There is a reality to that. I think the myth that we're trying to bust here is that it's going to happen and there's really nothing you can do. Right. You're just done. You're just you're not done. You're not. Mm-mm. So I think that's the myth we're trying to bust. So yes, it's real. You're going to have a lower, some women are going to experience, not all women, as you were highlighting there, Suzanne, <laughs> are going to experience a lower sex drive. Some are not. Right. But if you do, if your sex drive and your libido diminish, there's things you can do about it. I will say the other thing that sort of helped get my sex drive back was when our children, when we got the empty nest. I mean, I feel you on children and especially in that sort of tween teenage, there's so much attention that's needed there. And um, there's such a priority and not that when you have an empty nest, your children aren't a priority, but I just found that it made me relax more. Not having oh, I'm sure. 
Well, the other, the other tricky thing about the libido is it's not just about your vagina, right? It's, um, it's about your feelings towards your husband. It's about the relationship you're in. Um, it's about your mood that you're in and all these things can be impacted by your hormones too, right? There are a lot of women who just go through this phase of unhappiness and, and depression and anxiety because of their hormones. And, and they can sort of, it, it's easy for us to lump everything, like, like throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like everything is kind of lousy and, and, and I'm, my hormones are, are bringing my mood to such a place where sex is the last thing on my mind. And you could have a perfectly moist and dewy and supple vagina, but emotionally, you're just not there for sex. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I, we should have on a future episode, we should invite on one of our nurse practitioners here, Susanna Ewing, who really has some great insight into sex and libido. Wow, cool. We actually did an open clinic hour for members of the CUSP because if you're a member of the CUSP, we have these weekly open clinic hours with our uh, providers. And we did one with Susanna specifically tailored towards libido and sex drive. And it was our most popular <laughs> open clinic hour to date. Like we had a lot of women that joined and that were really happy to talk openly with other women, with other members of the CUSP and with Susanna and myself about sex drive and libido. It was great. So um, we should have her on the show. Yeah, she'd be great. And, and, and yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Yep. I could talk about sex all day long, even though I'm not having it anymore. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I mean, I'm not having it with anybody else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, yes. I always say people are tired of hearing about my dry vagina. Because <laughs> I am so happy. I'll never get tired of hearing about your dry vagina. Thank you, Suzanne, because I that's I love nothing more than talking about my, <laughs> which which is no longer so dry thanks to my okay. estrogen suppository. Okay, next myth of menopause: you will lose your femininity. Mm. Yeah, it's over. You might as well not even be a woman anymore. Kiss your femininity goodbye. Is it true? Have you, have you, have you experienced that, Valerie? You know, it, I struggle with this one a lot, Suzanne, because what is that definition of femininity anymore? Exactly. Right? And who, and who wrote that defini definition? I think right? you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I have to say going back to the libido conversation, right? That period of time where I didn't want to have sex and I was so, you know, again, we're going back to sex, but I think there was a bit of a tie into my femininity because I didn't feel sexy. I didn't feel desirable. I didn't feel worthy of that. So maybe that's that thing of femininity, but I sort of struggle with that. Well, here's, here's my, here's what sticks in my craw is that, you know, femininity, femininity is about um, like, like things that are associated with women and girls, right? And, and we're still women. So what, what's happening to us now is still feminine. It's just a, a different 
aspect of our femininity, right? It's, it's in my mind, it's like, it's sort of distilling our femininity into like the truest expression of the women that we are, you know, like, I feel like I'm like the Uber Suzanne female and more myself and more true to myself than I am now. So yeah, this is absolutely feminine and I love it. It's like the, the strong, powerful phase of femininity. And maybe that's what it is. What menopause does is we go through this journey and it's not, so this is a myth that we're busting because it's not that we're losing our femininity, Suzanne. It's just that as we travel this road, our, who we become and how comfortable we are in our skin really changes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're more powerful. I mean, we've talked about this on the, ver- on the first episode is like that menopause can be empowering and menopause can be this powerful uh, stage of your life. And that, that's what I think is that we actually become more comfortable in our skin. I, I hate to swear. I'm going to swear though, but I get to this point now I'm at this point now where there are things where I could just give two fucks about, about things. Right. Still have two left. I have none left. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I still have two left, but there are, there are, you know, you have this stage of your life where it's not that you're losing your femininity. Maybe it's just that we're becoming more comfortable in our skin. Yeah. We're like, still like, I still feel very, very much feminine. Like I, I, that is part of me is still very much alive. And, and, you know, I think it was when I was in junior high school, we watched this movie in science and biology. And it talked about how when, uh, when human beings, when they're little, our bodies are kind of the same. And then as we start to go through puberty, and mature, our bodies get very different from men and women. Men's and women's bodies get very different. And then as we age, men's and women's women's body get get the same again. <laughs> and I was like, no, I no, I don't get that. But and and I think that's maybe where I might have thought that I would lose my femininity in menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 very much not the experience I'm having. So do you think that it could be more tied to aging and denial of aging? Maybe not denial of aging. I don't know. I don't know how to, you know, because at the top of this, when we were planning for this episode, we actually talked about like, well, should we do femininity and aging together? As right. And my, here's where I come from, is that I think this myth of losing your femininity is actually tied to the process of aging. And that menopause, perimenopause and menopause sort of brings full force in your face as a woman that this is it. You know, you're, you're now officially in that aging process. It's no longer, you know, the useful life of your body as a reproductive engine is now expired and gone, right? So you're now faced full on with aging. And do we tie, is it more of a societal thing where we tie aging with femininity? So that's where I was coming from with that. Or that we tie usefulness to reproductive reproduction. Yes, that's true too, right? Because that really is what sticks out in my mind is, and I, you know, as you know, I did not produce my children. I adopted my children. And so uh, in that sense, I've, I've, my body has never been useful. 
Um, <laughs> so, so I don't feel a loss of usefulness. Mm. Um, but gosh, that's such a great point. And I'm sorry because that, you know, might have come across as being a very insensitive comment. Oh no, not at all. Because I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's a common way to think about it. Right. Um, so maybe that's but, because women, that's what we've been sort of programmed to yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Our usefulness is in reproduction. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a whole other topic, right? It really is. It really oh, is. Topic. But I think, you know, getting down to the femininity and the aging, I actually feel more attractive now than I did when I went through perimenopause. I feel oh, a lot. I do too. Except for the fact that I haven't had a ha haircut in over a year. Well, yeah, yeah. And with COVID but, right now, with, with femininity, with COVID, I've, I spend a lot of time in sweatpants and pajamas. If you guys saw the bottom half of my body. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. But with COVID, I think we're all experiencing that. How to make sec uh, sweatpants sexy. Um, you know what else? I haven't worn makeup since mid-March, and I do not miss it. I don't think I'm ever going back. Right. And we can't wear lipstick anymore. Why would we? Why would we? Our mouths are covered up, right? Anyway, yeah, I think that myth around losing our femininity and our aging. I, I don't feel like I've left, lost my femininity. I think the more, for me, the bigger impact is this, or the bigger issue is around aging for me and that, and coming to terms with that. And I believe I have right now come to terms with that. I, I, I'm actually embracing the wrinkles that I have on my face. I'm embracing the gray hair that I have. I you, mean, have you have tremendously beautifully great, beautiful gray hair. I, I love your hair. It looks like sassy and sexy, and I love it. I mean, who, who ever thought that having a, a haircut like my brother, who's a police officer, that I would look sassy uh, <laughs> and sexy? But you know, I've more people come up to me in the past couple of years and compliment me on my hair since I started wearing it in such a way that the gray was more obvious. Yeah, yours, your hair is gorgeous, and I love the gray hair. I've no one ever complimented me on my hair before. Yeah. We're going to put pictures up of, of ourselves, but uh, Suzanne is featured in a lot of our photography <laughs> and our marketing. And so if you see a woman with this fabulous, long, flowing gray hair and these beautiful bangs, that's, <laughs> that's Suzanne. Anyway, any anything else about this addressing this issue of femininity and aging? I'm not sure that we really busted any myths about that. I, I just think maybe we highlighted some of the other discussion topics around femininity. And aging. Yeah, I, I guess I just, I just expected I'd start to feel like, you know, like a truck driver or something. <laughs> Once I hit, uh, and I don't, I still feel like, you know, a, a woman and a mom. And when I get, I love to get dressed up and I love to wear bras that push my boobs up and I love all that. And it's still very much a part of who I am. Fantastic. Well, I think you're very feminine. I think you're feminine too. Great. Not that our worth is tied to our femininity, but I do, I do think that you're feminine. Right. So that is it for today. I think we just busted some myths. I certainly had fun. I learned some new things about you, Suzanne. That's what I love about this is that every time it's, it's like, we are good girlfriends and talking to good girlfriends, but still learning new things about each other, which is fun. Thank you. It is fun. It is fun. So that is it for this week's episode, Menopause Matters. And I want to thank you all for joining. Again, we 
had a great time talking to Suzanne about the five myths of menopause and you can read her article at thecusp.com and click on the articles tab at the top or go to thecusp.com slash articles and you can find the five myths of menopause there. Most of the articles, in fact, pretty much all the articles on on that page have been written by Suzanne and we'll tackle off on some of the other things that she's talked about. Next week, we're gonna try to have on one of our medical advisory board members, um, Dr. Tori, talk about naturopathic solutions. She's an expert in that as it relates to menopause, so we're really excited about that. Um, But thank you for being with us today, and Suzanne, thank you for helping bust some myths around menopause. It's my pleasure, Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful to have someone like you to bounce these ideas off of and people who want to listen. So uh, feel free to share what you've learned so we get more people talking about this. And give us some topics that you'd like us to talk about. Or if you want to be a guest on Menopause Matters and talk to us, please let us know. Reach out at support at thecusp.com and say, hey, Valerie and Suzanne, I want to be a guest on your show and I want to talk about this. Yeah, we'll talk with you. We will totally talk with you. Talk to you. Yes. So thank you again for joining us for Menopause Matters because how we deal with our menopause journey today matters for our long-term health. So thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next week.